Welcome to the See Me Now special edition podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall. And we are joined today by Western Colorado Community College instructor of viticulture and enology, Elise Bosch. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, gals. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. So you're relatively new to the program, but you are not new to wine, you or food for that matter. Um, can you kind of talk about why did you decide to dive in and create a career out of wine and food? Well, WCCC started the program uh, about a year or two before I joined, and so I've allowed to, been allowed to grow uh, with the program in that area, and it has fed my interest with food and wine, absolutely. I was just that kid that couldn't stop thinking about where her next meal was going to come from, and I explored a couple different aspects of the culinary world. I've worked in restaurants, both front and back of house. I enjoy making food, but most of all, I've enjoyed traveling and living around the world and experiencing culture both around me and what I could I could taste uh, and so, so much of who we are as a, a group or a, a population comes down to really what we eat we all have our own versions for the same thing and it's fascinating to me how it connects that's so true. You know, I've studied abroad when I was in college. I've traveled myself quite a bit. And there's always certain things you miss about home and about the food you have home. I mean, it's amazing to get to experience all these different cultures through their food and to share those meals with people that live there and to get to know them better. But I, I do recall there was definitely quite a few things that I missed when I was abroad and wasn't home here. Yeah, it might be edible, but it just might not be what you consider food. And so in the uh, in the lack of travel, because you know, no one, I'm not for enough to be able to afford that the whole time. Uh, wine is an excellent way to kind of taste a place without really going anywhere outside your home. That, I like that you said that because, you know, I I have um, drank my fair share of wine <laughs> and I, I do think that, yeah, you, you really can kind of get a feel for the place by the, by the bottle and by the grapes that are in there. And I, I'm wondering because you, your background is gastronomy, so you um, pair wine with food, and you're, you know we're talking about all these different locations and countries and cultures. How how do you go about that? I mean, do you have to really study the different cultures, or is it kind of like depending on who you are, you pair it that way? It's an element of both. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough that when earning my master's, I was in a, a great multicultural location. I was in Boston, although I did get my undergrad here from, from Mesa State, so able to come back. Um, and, and you had access to a lot of different flavors. So there is an understanding of, say, the food or the cuisine that you are trying to pair. But more importantly than that, it, it is the people. It is yourself or it's who around you. And you have to understand in a little bit of, of their palate. And most importantly, the occasion. I mean, I fundamentally believe that any pairing is a good pairing, just like any wine is a good wine, as long as it's something that you enjoy. And we all have our own palates, and that is perfectly great that we disagree with our preferred flavors and textures. That's what makes it all interesting. So if you're more at a, of an adventurous eater, you might like a more adventurous pairing. Uh, if you're trying to highlight a special occasion or you're trying to highlight, you know, grandma's special dish, then you, you don't want to, you know, bulldoze over that with a wine pairing. You want to highlight things. So take into a part or take into account your, your circumstance, the reason for pairing. And above all, wine is not the main event. The meal is the main event. It's kind of like a condiment. 
I love that. I've never really heard it described that way, but that's an interesting way to look at it. So we're really fortunate to live here in Grand Junction in the Grand Valley. We've got Palisade, which has, I believe, over 20, 25 wineries mm-hmm. now. A lot of them grow their own grapes on site. And so to me, it makes perfect sense to have a viticulture and enology program. But could you maybe talk about what is it about our area that has made us now be known for wine and it makes it where we can grow the grape varietals and have so many different wineries here in Palisade and Grand Junction. I believe the biggest power Palisade has in emerging in the modern wine industry is the fact that it is a destination at this time. Uh, We did have a history of winemaking prior to Prohibition. uh, We did have viticulture out in Palisade, and unfortunately, the county and the state decided to go dry before the rest of the nation did with with Prohibition, and so we became a wonderful, wonderful fruit tree, peach in particular, uh, industry, which is fabulous, and only really in the 80s and then 90s and moving onward did we really get great when it came to wine production again but that is kind of in part of what makes Palisade uh, the Grand Valley AVA our viticultural area unique is that um, not only do we have this you know desert-esque climate uh, it's very hot you can grow quite a lot of, of varieties of grapes and you still are on your toes because it does freeze enough this year is an excellent example of that we've suffered a, a frost of freeze that have has rather challenged the industry um, we're in a wonderful location that allows people to come and experience our our area, not just wine tasting, but a lot of outdoor recreations, and they can do it all in one spot. And I think that's the biggest draw we have and and the future of the wine industry is the fact that people come here and you can't get this wine anywhere. And, you know, 10 years ago, it was, oh, Colorado makes wine too. How great. Um, You know, with a little bit of a scoff attached to that. And today it's, hey, Colorado makes wine, but you got to go there to get it. Uh, And that makes us unique. And and out of all the wineries in Palisade, you know, over 20 of them, we don't make wine the same way. We all have a different way to go about it, a different style that makes us unique, that gives us a defining characteristic among our contemporaries in the Valley. And you're going to find something you like no matter where you go, which is wonderful. I, I dearly hope we don't become like wine regions of the world that all produce the same flavors in the same way, because it gets kind of boring after that. It's like eating macaroni and cheese every single day for a month straight. Yeah, you like it, but okay. You could get a little tired of it. Right. So speaking of, we've got the Colorado Mountain Wine Fest that is coming up not, I think, here at the end of this month. And I know it brings together all of the Colorado wineries. And, you know, I think it's amazing that we get to host one of the largest wine festivals in the state of Colorado, and it's 20 minutes down the road from us here. I assume you've been before or are going, could you maybe talk about like, what is that experience like when you have all of these Colorado wineries together in one location? Absolutely. It is this year, September 18th and 19th. They've separated into two days, which I'm somewhat looking forward to. If you're if you're someone who appreciates the wine tasting aspect, especially, this just allows you a little more time to enjoy the different wineries here in Colorado. And we have several local wineries coming down. Uh, we also have more just kind of Colorado-esque wineries. There's some hard cider as well, which is always wonderful to try. Um, and you really really get a good snapshot 
of the wines that are being produced in Colorado, up and coming wines, wines that might do something a little different than what you'd expect. And, and primarily with wine festivals, it's an excellent opportunity for people to taste wine that normally they couldn't find in a liquor store. Very, very much of what you ex- access in a liquor store is provided by big companies. And so the opportunity for you to in essentially drink local uh, is a great way to see what we're doing with our our fermentations, new exciting ways of, of crafting wine that's just not the same old, same old. So it's very exciting. There is a lot of people, but that's just kind of more fun. There's a lot of events. Uh, WCCC's program director, uh, Jenny Baldwin-Eaton, is going to be doing some wine seminars in honor of the program both days. She, has, of course, has an excellent history in the, uh, the Palisade industry, and uh, th- there's really more than just going to go drink wine. There's a whole cornucopia of things, food demonstrations, uh, pairings there even. So it's a lot of fun, a lot of people, and you get to mingle with different ideas of what people consider wine and what's appropriate flavors and styles. So just expand your boundaries. I love listening to you. I'm having like this aha moment because how fortunate are we that we live here and that like we have this community college for people of all ages, doesn't matter if you're 18, 30, 60, if you want to learn about wine, you have a, you have a spot and you don't have to go through the program necessarily. If you want to say, Hey, I want to know what, like what's happening with my tongue, right? Like when I drink this wine, what is it doing? Like what, what are, what's going on here? They can take a class and they can learn about that. And I think you're the you're the perfect person for that. Uh, can you kind of tell us what is going on there when we, you know, drink a cab or a sob? Like what what's what's our tongue telling our, our mind? How do you understand flavor? How does your brain taste wine more than your tongue taste wine? And absolutely, come out to the program, take a course or take a night class, and I can give you an elevator speech here, and then there's there's a lot more to be had, more fun to be had. Uh, I guess where I would start is remember that diagram of your tongue. You learned in about third grade. You have the sweet receptors on one part and the sour ones on the other part. And um, that's probably one of the greatest misconceptions we have when it comes to flavor. So kind of throw that one out. It's not entirely wrong, but it's not entirely correct. You have the ability to taste every single one of your basic flavors, basic tastes, I should say, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, umami, anywhere on your tongue, you have a taste bud, a taste papillae. They are concentrated at the tip of your tongue. That's why all the, you know, little two-year-olds like to take the teeniest, tiniest lick of something. It's actually a really good technique, just the tip of your tongue. Uh, You have more concentrated on the side and you have them scattered everywhere. But the key is every single taste receptor you have has the ability to taste all of those basic flavors, but it's a unique physiology where your receptors are more concentrated might not necessarily be where mine are. And you might just have more or less receptors than I do. So you're more sensitive of a taster. I'm sure you've heard the phrase super taster, right? Which I actually, it's not as great as it sounds. You're just incredibly sensitive to flavor overall. Um, and, And I do say flavor in a sense that I am combining what's happening on your palate. So taste is not even half of how you come up with flavor. Think about when you're sick and you got a head cold. You're kind of out of luck in life. And it's not that your tongue doesn't work. You can still get all those basic 
tastes and you can absolutely get sensation. You know, you have something really sour, you can feel that kind of on the sides of your jaw. But what's missing from the equation is not necessarily texture, not necessarily taste, but smell. And that is the biggest part of why we have different perceptions. It's called olfaction. And the one that you just sniff, that's called uh, orthonasal. The one we care about when we're trying to taste food or in particular taste wine is called retronasal olfaction. It's inside your mouth. And so that's where all those aromatics, when you swirl a wine glass and you kind of crank it around in a tight little circle, or you kind of swish things on your mouth, you volatize those aromatics and they go up to a part of your brain called your olfactory epithelium. And that smell pattern combined with taste and texture creates flavor. But here's the hard part. This is why y'all need to go out and try legally, of course, how much wine you always possibly can, is you got to practice because everybody's perception of that flavor is unique. It is experience-based. You know, a lot of wines out there, there's a white wine in Palisade, a couple of us do, called Vignet. It's fabulous. It's uh, peach and pear and honeysuckle, and it can be a very welcoming, warm varietal, or it could be a nice crisp style. Uh, but one of the keynotes is peach, right? So if you're trying to taste Vignet, you're trying to smell it, you're trying to put it on your palate, and you're trying to taste peach, you got to realize that that's going to be a different flavor for you and I. I mean, if I were to say the word peach, what comes to your mind? If you're maybe from somewhere in California or you're new to Palisade, okay, you might be used to your peaches coming from a grocery store. They're probably picked green. They're underripe because they got to transport before, you know, they mush down. You pick it up, you take it back to your house, and it's this kind of hard little ball that has to ripen. Yeah, that's that's a peach, but I think we could agree it's it's a different experience than when you come to Palisade and you walk out into the orchard and you get that tree ripe peach. When you bite into it, it just kind of drips all the way down. So flavor is very much a personal experience that we can relate to, but that's part of what makes wine tasting challenging. It's funny when I first. Uh... Uh, my husband and I, he's actually from here and we, you know, I've always been like, oh yeah, I don't really like peaches. I, you know, they're, they're nothing to nothing special. And forever he was like, well, you haven't had a Palisade peach. And then we <laughs> moved here and I was like, you're right. Peaches, peaches are amazing. How did I not know about this? So yeah, you're, you make a really good point there. And I love, I think that that was really really eloquent. I feel like I just learned so much listening to <laughs> listening to you there. I agree. And it kind of took me back. So before I worked in the marketing office here and in higher education, I worked for a craft brewery ah. and loved the craft brewing industry. And it's kind of that same feel where we're educating people on when you're tasting different beers, whether it's, you know, a lager or an ale, if it's an IPA or a porter or a stout or a blonde and talking people through those experiences of what you're smelling, what you're tasting, the body, the mouthfeel, the IBUs on it. And so so, you know, for me, it's really interesting to get to see this side of, you know, the other side of it, I would call with winemaking um, or wine tasting, winemaking and wine tasting. Um, and so when you're walking somebody through maybe tasting a glass, well, what does that look like? How do you walk somebody through tasting a glass of wine? Depends on your level of analysis. Are you trying to tear it apart because you're trying to do a, you know, a professional critique or are you just trying to enjoy the wine and you need to come out to my class and we're, we're doing beer this week. So that would be very right. valuable. Actually. I like that. <laughs> it sounds great to have you. 
Um, if you are, you know, out with your girlfriends and you're going to taste wine, I mean, the fundamental thing is that you're going to like it or you don't. But with any tasting, you need to remember to give yourselves at least three sips to make friends. Take into account what was previously on your palate. Did you just brush your teeth? Did you just eat something that's all going to manipulate uh, how things are going to be on your mouth. So say you have a wine glass in front of you. And if you are tasting, no, it's not a full pour. Unfortunately, we're not trying to be stingy. We're trying to help you engage with the wine in a different way. And the first thing we like to do is look at appearance with wine. I do want to remind people though that that color is absolutely a tool but it's not the end-all be-all so we tend to get kind of boxed into this corner where we think that a intensely colored deep colored wine must mean it has a lot of flavor and many times that can be true but not always it'd kind of be the same kind of true to say that all peppers are going to be very hot, right? Well, yeah, some of them can, but not all of them are going to be. So take a look at the color and you want to look at the intensity. You want to see if there's stuff floating in it. See how clear it is. If you have a piece of paper beneath your glass, if can you read the words underneath? And having a wine that is more opaque or more clear doesn't necessarily point to anything being wrong or really good. It just might be appropriate or not for the style of wine. But either way, take note of how it looks. Bring it up and give yourself a smell. And before you crank on the wine, try to resist the whole temptation to wax on and wax off. Get an initial impression. Just bring it up to your nose as close as you can get. Don't get your nose wet. That kind of hurts when you snorkel the wine. Uh, But bring it up. See if you smell alcohol. See if you get any subtle aromatics, any delicate things. And then if you want, you can then move that wine around. You volatize that. Spin it around. Like trace a quarter with the inside of the stem. And it does really help to have it on a surface to start. Uh, Even I can't swirl successfully in both directions in the air. So it's all right if you leak a little bit. Don't be that vigorous though. But swirl it around and then bring it up and take a small sip. Just an initial sip. Make it kind of quick. Swallow it. What do you get? Maybe you get some fruit notes. Look for big picture things like an inverted pyramid. Um, And for white wines, let's say we start there, usually with any tastings, you, you would. Think big picture. What you smell, what you taste might be more in a fruit category or a floral category. But if you're ever stuck, all white wine starts out with some form of apple or pear. So be a woman of few words. Just say apple. Do not elaborate. And no one can argue with you. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good good little trick. (laughs) Might be a Granny Smith apple or Honeycrisp, but it's still an apple. Yeah, it's an apple. After your first sip, then take another larger sip. And I tend not to focus on flavor for that second sip, but that's my technique. I tend to focus on structure. How does it feel? Does it dry? my mouth out. And by the way, that's not called dryness, unfortunately. It makes no sense. It's called astringency. It's from tannins, either from the grape skin, like a red wine, or from the barrel, in the case of a a white wine. Uh, So how does it feel? Is it soft? Is it smooth? Does it bubble? Does it have effervescence? Uh, Is it really acidic or astringent in some way? And then take a third sip, move it around your palate, swallow, and exhale. And in that retronasal olfaction, you'll tend to pull out a lot other, a lot more flavors or other flavors than simple fruit aspects that you might have got on the first initial sip. So don't be afraid to let it linger on your palate. Take some time, make some friends with it. And if you absolutely are not so fond of the wine, but you're stuck at home and you can't understand how you ever got that bottle, 
Go get something to eat. That can absolutely change your experience. With pairing, oftentimes the wines that are too much or not enough on their own are the ones that work out best for pairing. Even when I go out to eat and I'll do a little wine flight to make friends first, usually the wine that I like the least on its own is the one I'm going to get the bottle of for the meal because it has certain characteristics that might lend itself better towards food. Oh, interesting. Wow. (laughs) I love this. Um, Before we wrap up, I'm wondering, okay, you know, the weekend's coming up. Say someone's having a steak or fish or a salad. Can you give our listeners a little like, hey, if you're eating this tonight, maybe maybe pair it with this? Sure, I can do that. With pairing, there's almost often a dime a dozen of rules. So I'm, I'm going to give a little fundamentals that you can apply wherever you are with ev- whatever you're eating. Uh, first and foremost, remember that experience. That's what wine is, right? That's what pairing is. If it's a special occasion, take more care. If it's an everyday occasion, you can have a little more fun sometimes and try something unsure. Think about wine as a condiment. When you're having vanilla ice cream, do you want to put Godiva chocolate sauce on it or do you want to put Tabasco? So, By same token with wine, if you're having something smooth and rich and creamy, do you want a wine that also matches that? Or do you want something that's going to slap you in the face? Uh, A Cabernet Sauvignon that's quite young and very tannic would be a perfect example of the painful option, right? Um, Look at weight. And you're already really, really good at doing this. We do it instinctively with meals. I mean, if I were to ask you, what's lighter, a salad or chicken and a cream sauce? you're going to choose the salad. So use that when you pair. When you look at food, look at weight by fat. That's how we gauge that. So you can match the fat, the weight of the food, and do a parallel pairing and match that same weight with the intensity of the wine. And the easiest way to look at wine intensity and and weight is by alcohol, low number or high number. So in a parallel pairing, you are matching texture, you are matching that weight. Say I'm having fettuccine alfredo, smooth, rich, and creamy. I'm going to want a white wine that has a higher degree of alcohol to it, maybe 14%. And if you end up going to the restaurant and you have the fettuccine alfredo and then you get the white wine and you get a stomach ache later, I'd be willing to bet the white wine was about 12% and you effectively curdled everything in your stomach. They kind of get into fisty cuffs, uh, acid, and milk. So don't that. But you can also do what we call a contrast pairing. And that's where you're going to contrast different textures. Best example of that would be a nice fatty piece of meat like, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, barbecued spare ribs with that sweet, sticky Kansas style sauce on it. And you have a red wine that is not big in alcohol, you have a low number because acid is going to be your tool and it's going to physically lift the coating of fat on your tongue from things like cheese and meat and help you taste. Carbonation does the same thing. So if you ever need an excuse to pop something bubbly, get yourself a popcorn and some movies and you know, you'll have a great time. But you can do parallel where you match that weight and texture. You can do a contrast where you play around and you're going to oppose that. Just don't do the the cream and the and the acidic white wine no matter what. But those are some easy, easy tools you can use when you pair. Great. Well, I bet I bet your students look forward to your class. <laughs> just talking just talking with you today, I'm like, man. 
wow, but she's a she's a fun teacher. <laughs> they certainly are hungry by the time they leave sometimes. Yeah, I definitely feel like I've learned learned a lot today, and I'm excited to bring some of this knowledge back to my house. Absolutely. And if you ever want more, come out. We do a lot of uh, community education programs, or come come take a class. Get a little more detailed on learning how you taste wine, and uh, you can make that applicable for for anything. And it works more than just with wine. Maybe not milk or water, but you can pretty much, as you have with beer, you know, you can you can use that tool uh, or those set of tools uh, wherever you are. Well, thank you so much for being here, Elise. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure entirely. Thanks for having me out. This is a special edition episode. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts.